Well, hey everybody, how's everyone doing? Woo, all right, I like this service, everybody's awake. Who's a morning person? Oh, wow, I'm not, I'm sorry, but hey, uh, we are Justin and Trish Davis, and if you have been around Ward for some time, as you heard before, Justin and I, um, he spoke here a couple years ago, and then I got to return a couple of times for several years, so I don't know about you, I'm always looking for things that just feel like, not back to normal, but just feel familiar, and it was so great pulling up on the campus and feeling like I was coming home, away from home, so I am so excited to be back here and to have Justin with me this time. So We're uh, excited to be here. Quite honestly, uh, we've been married for almost 27 years. We got married when we were 12. That's not true. I just wish that it were. I wish we were. It is where we are like, like legit fishing for you all to be like, oh, she's too young. Not it's happening fine. anymore. It didn't happen. So. Anyway, so uh, we have five kids. They range in age from 25 down to 12. And uh, so just getting here for the weekend was a blessing for us. We're more blessed to be away from our kids with you <laughs> than you are even to have us. So it's true. It's actually, true our 25-year-old son, Micah, uh, he's a youth pastor in Indianapolis where we live. Not at our church, but at a, at a large church there. And he's actually preaching right now at our church uh, called Hope City in Indianapolis. And so it's a blessing for us to be here and for him to be uh, doing that. So we're excited to be here to close out this series, um, The Miracle Moment. You guys have been in this over the last few weeks. And we're talking about reconciliation today. And we're talking about reconciliation of relationships. And maybe you need reconciliation in your relationship with God. Maybe regardless of your marital status, you need reconciliation in a relationship. So no matter where you come from today, our prayer is that we're going to share a part of our story with you and how God has shown up and reconciled broken aspects of our life and our, and our marriage. Uh, but we hope that God meets you right where you are and gives you a vision for the reconciliation he wants to do in your life. So regardless if you're like 9 or 90, we all can think about a time where we had like expectations for a moment, and this moment was going to be epic, and you just knew like you were ready and gearing up, and this was going to be like the best time of your life, and then the moment happens, and it just does not come into fruition any way, shape, or form that you thought it would, and so you just get to this place where uh, an unexpected event or a circumstance ends up creating this unexpected wound. And for Justin and I, we got married super young. We were 19 and 20 when we got engaged and then we got married and we were still in college. And then four months into marriage, I found out that I didn't have the flu, but that I was expecting. And so just like a lot of life change. And for those of you who are married and those of you who may one day be married, this is a very important thing about marriage. Because when you plan for your wedding and during the wedding ceremony, this thing happens where you stand and your person stands across from you and you say all of these things to each other. Like, I love you, I do, I do. But then you, you get done and then you start living your marriage life and then you realize there was a lot of things that were left unsaid in that conversation. Like, hey, when we fight, FYI, we're gonna fight like my family, and in my family where we were very efficient with our fights, you never had to worry what people were thinking because oftentimes we just used words that had four letters, right? <laughs> so it was like, we had this, like, I, this is how we are going to fight. And so when we got um, married, we realized we didn't talk about that. Another thing we didn't talk about is that when you stand at the altar with each other, you don't have this conversation of deciding 
whose side of the family you are going to go to on your first Christmas married, and then what side of the family is going to hate you for the rest of your marriage, right? Like it's all of these <laughs> tensions that we had no idea. And so when we got married and now we were expecting, we're like, you know what, our first our first little Christmas is going to be amazing. And so we were both in college. Justin was playing college basketball. We were working part-time. And so our little apartment door was like a revolving door. And so we picked this day. And today was the day we were going to do the first Davis family Christmas. And so I get my gifts out for Justin, and I put them underneath my little Charlie Brown tree because normal people put their Christmas gifts under the Christmas tree. And then I left for like work or class. I can't remember. One of my love languages is gifts. I love getting gifts. I love giving gifts. And so this was a huge deal for me. I, I love Christmas. It's my favorite holiday. And I always make a big deal about it. And this was no different. Our first Christmas was going to be epic. And so I get up after Trisha had left. I noticed that she had gotten the gifts that she had purchased for me out and she put them underneath the tree. So I get my gifts that I had gotten for her out and I get them and I put them on the couch. I stack them up in a pile. I get the gifts she had purchased for me out from underneath the tree. I stack those up in a pile on the, on the recliner. I label her gifts, my gifts, on my dot matrix printer because I want to speak her love language of organization, Justin's gifts, Trisha's gifts, and then I leave and go to class. So then I come home and I was like, what? Like, there's these two piles. And I was like, oh, maybe I heard his feelings that he wanted, like, the Christmas gifts to be evenly distributed underneath the tree because that's what normal people do. So I took the name tags, I crumbled them up, and then crumbled I began... Up my heart. I did. And then I put all of the gifts underneath the tree, and then I left again for worker class. And so I come home from class, and I'm like, what is going on right now? That's not how we do Christmas. So I get the gifts back out from underneath the tree. I stack her gifts on the recliner, my gifts on the couch. I can't find my labels anywhere. I reprint them out. Trisha's gifts, Justin's gifts, and I leave and go to practice. Now, friends... This is not dependent on your age or your relational status. But do you know, can you think of a time where you've had a fight with somebody and you've won the fight with somebody, but you have yet to invite that somebody into your fight? Um, this is what's happening with me. I am having the argument with Justin. And knowing the family I grew up in, I was the middle child. Anybody, any middle children? Yeah, bless you. Uh, like the peacemaker. And, but in my you know, family, we were efficient with our words. But I knew I was now married to a soon-to-be pastor. So I couldn't use those four-letter words. So I'm like stewing in this fight I'm having with Justin that he's not yet invited in. And I'm thinking of like all the four-letter words that I can say. And I'm like, nope, nope, nope. Oh, I think I've got one. So he comes in and I am crying. Have anybody expecting? Okay, listen up because this is important. He says to me, I look at him and I say, you have ruined Christmas. Like that's all I have Little to say. dramatic, don't you think? I mean, I walk in the door and that's the first thing that she greets me with. And then he says this to me. He said, you know what your issue is? You're all hormonally pregnant and you need to get it together. And I was like, <laughs> Not oh, my finest no, moment. he did it. You know, earrings are coming off. I'm like, I'm from the south side. This is not work. And so in my mind, I'm like, I'm working. Like, what am I going to say? No, and so I, I say what I think is like the bottom of the barrel, the least of the least harsh four-letter words. And I say, I hate you. And I'm thinking, hate's fine, right? Like, it, we, we can work with that. And so I, it was this moment where I just thought I was just this innocent thing. And so we were in this tiny apartment, and I took two little steps, and I slammed our bedroom door. And in my mind, we had just had our best successful argument 
in our marriage history. It was a win. And I just thought, we've been married for four months. How can she hate me? Like, you have to grow into hate over time, right? She should be not hate me for four years or at least 40 years. But if, we're gonna, if she's going to hate me now, four months into marriage, we have no hope. Okay, now I know everybody's going to stress out the rest of our talk if we don't tell them what we've done with our children. And I'm so grateful because now two of them are married and I want them to be normal. So growing up... <laughs> We would start with the presents underneath the tree. The kids would come down. And we'd be like, yay! And then we'd get the tr- gifts out from underneath the tree, and then we stack them. And we do this with our daughter-in-laws, and they think it's awesome. So we are it's waiting at parenting. It's all about compromise and reconciliation. That's right. There I mean, you for, go. The, for the record, our family was poor, and we would, my sister and I would stack our gifts because we wanted to like, make it feel like we had more gifts than we really did. And so I hope that you feel Listen, good. my family, we grew up poor too. We were normal poor people. So put your <laughs> gifts underneath the tree, people. <laughs> so if you need reconciliation in your relationship, just know uh, we may need this after the service, all right? So, uh, but we got married, as Trish said, we got married the summer before my second senior year of college. I wanted to squeeze four years into five. And uh, so we were young, we were in love, we were broke. And then we found out we were expecting it. But we had this common bond and this common vision for our marriage that we were going to change the world through the local church. That we love God and we wanted to serve God with our lives. And so I graduated and we dove headfirst into student ministry for the next seven years. And we would spend the next seven years of our ministry helping students come into a relationship with Jesus. Seven years into ministry, we felt like God had laid on our heart this vision to plant a church for people who didn't go to church. We had never done this before, and, and so we uh, sold everything that we owned. We had $5,000 to our name, uh, which means we didn't own a lot of stuff. And we moved to the northeast side of Indianapolis, about 45 minutes from where we live now, to start a church for people who are far from God. And we thought by the time we run out of this money, we should have a church going, which sounds very faith-filled. It's a very unwise way to start a church, but that was our vision. And so we moved on June 1st of 2002, and on June 9th, we had our very first service, and 12 people showed up. Now, as a church planner, you're looking for any sign at all that God may be remotely in this. I'm thinking 12 people, 12 disciples. This is biblical, right? Three of these people are wearing sandals. Jesus himself wore sandals. WWJD, it's going to work, right? And so 12 people turned into 20 people, and then we had some local churches get behind us, and they gave us people, and they gave us money, and they gave us a place to meet. And we launched public services in September of 2003, and over 300 people showed up. And it was just this amazing moment, not because of the numbers, but because of the vision that was coming into fruition. And from September of 2003 to Easter of 2005, our church would grow to about 700 people. And people who were far from God were coming to church and people were accepting Christ and they were finding a home and community and they were going on mission trips. And it was like we had a front row seat to the book of Acts. And here, Trish and I now are 10 years into marriage and from the outside looking in, it would appear as though we had it all together. We had everything that we could ever have imagined. We had three young boys. We had this growing church. The problem was there was cracks in the foundation of our marriage relationship and cracks in the foundation of my faith that began to emerge and come to the surface. And over the course of the first 10 years of our marriage, Trish and I became really good ministry partners and really bad marriage partners. I think no matter what type of relational status you have, we've experienced this place where we, we've been wounded or we feel like things are off. And so we just kind of look to the next thing to try and fix it. We look to the external rather than to the internal. And th- th- we see this for our students. Like maybe for you, middle school was just a hot mess. And you're just like, you know what? I can have these relationships. They're going to get better when I get in high school and I can get onto that team. 
Or maybe in your adult years, you're thinking, man, if I can get out of this, this bad job and get this really good paying job, then the relationships that just feel hard and off, well, they'll get better. We just look to all of these milestones, all of these achievements to try and bring us back together. And here, Justin and I, like, we were crushing life from the outside, you know, looking in. Like Justin said, everything was going up and to the right. And yet our relationship was so broken. You see, oftentimes it's the little moments. It's the, the Christmas, first Christmas moments where it's these little hurts that start to pile up and become bigger hurts. And then bigger hurts become these gaping wounds. And so Justin and I could feel 10 years into marriage, like we were not on the same page. And we were so distant. And so we did what any normal person does who lives in the Midwest. We went on a cruise, <laughs> right? Because it's what we do. Oh, and so, you know, Justin and I, we, we go on this cruise, and to be honest with you, we are in such a bad way with each other that I'm thinking, I wonder if there's an extra room that I can stay in by myself. Like, we were, I'm just, I was just ready to get away from everybody, including him. But that wasn't available, and so day one, day two, like, we are, like, really getting along and really enjoying each other's company because there's no cell phone. There, there were no children, no offense, right? <laughs> there was no church family, no offense, right? Like it was just Justin and I in the glorious blue ocean water and we just like, we not only liked each other, we walked off that boat like head over heels in love, hand in hand and just feeling like, man, this is so much fun. The problem is, is we look to that external circumstantial moment of the boat to bring healing that we would not find in our internal world when we stepped back into our normal life that had the same routine, the same hard. And I had no idea that in a span of 10 years that you could drift, but I had no idea in a span of just 10 days that you could go from a place of really expecting a miracle to take place to have just the opposite, where something that was supposed to be so beautiful and magical becomes one of the most hardest and profoundly overwhelming moments of my life. You know what the cruise allowed us to do is it allowed us to mask the pain of our marriage situation. It was almost like we were taking Tylenol for a brain tumor. And what, became to, what began to emerge was this gaping hole, this gap in the marriage that we had versus the marriage that we thought we would have. Maybe you've experienced that gap in your life. Maybe for some of you, there's a gap in the, re the relational quality of life that you have with your adult kids that you have now and you, that you thought you would have. Maybe for some of you, there's a gap between the, the dating life that you want and the dating life that you actually have. How do you reconcile that gap? Maybe for some of you today, there's a gap between the relationship with God you pretend you have and the relationship with God you actually have. Maybe for some of us, there's a gap between the marriage that we have and the marriage we thought we would have. This isn't what we really signed up for. Now, how do you reconcile that gap? Trish and I thought we had this vision that the longer that we were married, the better our marriage is going to be. Right? Longer married equals better marriage. That's, that's kind of the American dream. That's what we've been sold through our culture, that the longer that you're married, the more in love you're going to be. Here, Trish and I are 10 years into marriage, and we're not more in love, we're more irritable. We're, we're not more patient, we're less willing to forgive. The same argument over and over and over again, with never any different results. 
All this culminated on October 9th, 2005. I came home from church and Trish was laying down for an afternoon nap and I said, hey, we need to have a conversation. She said, okay, about what? And I said, about us. She's like, well, what about us? I said, I'm done. Like, I'm out. I don't want to be married anymore. I'm not in love with you anymore. I don't want to be in ministry anymore. I'm having an affair. It's with your best friend. I want to be with her. Like, I'm done. And I wish 17 years later, I wish it was a confession of remorse. And I wish it was a confession of repentance. It was just a confession of resignation. Now, I don't know if you've given to a relationship and you give and you give and you give and what you expect to be given in return isn't reciprocated. What begins to happen is a sense of entitlement begins to live in your heart and that person can never repay you all that you think they owe. And that's exactly where I was in my relationship with Trish. She was not going to be the wife I felt like I deserved and so I was done. Well, obviously the intensity of our conversation went way up and Trisha left the house and a few minutes later one of the elders of our church called and he was just screaming at me on the phone. This has to be some kind of joke. Please tell me this is a sick joke. Our, our church was three years old. Our average age was 28. We had just raised a million dollars to buy the building that we were meeting in. And one of our elders had given $250,000 to that. And I had cheated on all of them too. And they came over to my house that afternoon and they spent two hours not trying to talk me out of the consequences of my choice because I was not going to be the pastor of the church anymore. But they were trying to talk me out of the choice itself to leave my wife and my three young boys. And I just couldn't hear it. And so I left the house and I went and checked into a hotel and as I arrived at the hotel, a lady from our church called and she said, if you have any hope at all of reconciling your marriage, you're going to show up at this counseling appointment that we've made for you tomorrow. And so by God's grace, I went to this counseling session at 10 a.m. on Monday morning. And I sat down kind of defiantly in this lady's office and kind of shared with her about as much of the story as I've shared with you this morning. And she interrupted me and she said, can I just ask you something? She's like, why are you here? Like, what do you hope to accomplish with this counseling session? I said, if I'm just being straight up honest with you, here's what I want you to help me figure out. I want you to help me figure out how God's going to bless my life no matter who I choose. That's what I want. And she said something in that moment that became the linchpin for the reconciliation that God is, was going to do in our marriage. She said, I can help broken people. I can't help hard-hearted people. I'd been a Christian since I was 10 years old. I'd been a pastor for 10 years. I had never really experienced brokenness. But over the next few days, God would begin to break my heart for my marriage. Trisha packed up everything I owned. She kicked me out of the house. She moved all of my stuff into um, the house of a family that helped us start the church. We didn't talk for 10 days. We had a mediator that helped us get our kids back and forth, and we were separated for two and a half months. And through that process, God began to break my heart for my marriage, and I began to desire a second chance, not knowing if I would ever be given one. And so I started going to counseling by myself. Ten days into our separation, Trisha called me on my cell phone, and I tell people all the time, if the prodigal son's dad would have had a cell phone, this would have been a call he would have made. And she said, I hear you've been going to counseling. I said, yeah. And she said, well, I'm willing to go with you. So we started going to counseling together a few days later, went to counseling four days a week for the next two months. And so we tell couples all the, all the time, if you feel like your marriage is in trouble, our counselor wanted to see us four days a week. That's how jacked up we were, all right? Hang in there, you're going to be okay. But God began to use the intensity and the frequency and the authenticity of those counseling sessions to peel back layers of brokenness and heartache and hurt 
unmet expectations and half-truths and bitterness and resentment that we hadn't taken the time or had the courage to talk about the first 10 years of our marriage and began a reconciliation process and restoration in our marriage that continues to this day. And so what we want to spend the rest of our our time uh, is just sharing two principles that they changed our life then in that moment and they continue to change and shape who we are today because what we have found over and over again that reconciliation is where the miracle moment is found. And a miracle moment isn't just for the Davises, the miracle moment is for you. And I don't know what hard you bring to the table today. I don't know what season of life you're in. Maybe you're just in kind of more of the small with the Christmas gifts and just not being on the same page with your parents. Maybe for you, it's, you feel like you're in that sandwich where you're dealing with younger kids and, and older parents. You just feel like you just cannot get on the same page. Maybe you're here today and your marriage is at a last-ditch effort. Can I say to you today that you are not alone? And what we want to share with you are not just principles. It's where the heart transformation, the internal transformation happens through the power of reconciliation. You know, it's really cool how um, this whole Sunday kind of came together. We were already planning on being here for the marriage conference, and Pastor Scott reached out and said, hey, what would you guys think about staying an extra day and speaking on Sunday morning? And here's kind of the lineup of where we've been and what this talk is going to look like. And, and he started sharing what the Miracle Moment series has been about and what this specific Sunday was going to focus on in reconciliation. And some of the things that he mentioned in that email are really two of the principles that we teach in our book yeah. about forgiveness and, and truth-telling. And so I just want to start with by sharing just one principle with you of where reconciliation starts, and that is as we become people of truth. That if you want to experience reconciliation in your relationship with God or in any other relationship, it starts by becoming a person of truth. You have to tell the truth in order to experience reconciliation. You know, one of the things that I've learned over the last 17 years is that you and I were created for intimacy. We were created for intimacy with God, and we were created for intimacy in a marriage relationship if you are married with your spouse. And intimacy literally means to be fully known. And what happens so often is we are fearful of not being loved, and so we compromise truth in relationships, not because we want to be liars, but because we want to be loved. We have a pain quotient of every, in every relationship, and we think this is how much pain this person can handle, so this is as much truth as I'm going to give them. But because you and I are created to experience intimacy and because intimacy literally means to be fully known, every time we compromise truth in a relationship, we put a lid, we put a cap on the amount of intimacy we're capable of experiencing. There's this passage of Scripture in Colossians chapter 3, and the Apostle Paul writes this. He says, Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Instead, put on a new nature, and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. I mentioned that Trish and I went to counseling every day except for Friday because they were closed. So four days a week. So after a month, we had gone to 16 counseling sessions. That's a lot. It's like a, a year's worth of counseling in 30 days. And so at the end of that, those, that 16th counseling session, our counselor said, hey, you guys, I've made tremendous progress. Reconciliation is happening. Restoration is taking place. But you're at a really critical moment in your journey. He said, Justin, Trisha's starting to trust you again. She's starting to believe some of the things that you're saying. 
And so if you've left anything out, now's the time to share it. Because unconfessed sin will always lead to repeated behavior. And so if you don't want to be back here in three months or three years or 13 years, you better come clean right now. And I knew in my heart there were things that I had not confessed. Not because I didn't love Trish and not because I didn't want our marriage to work, but because I had convinced myself if she ever knew that, it would be over. But for whatever reason, in this moment, I just felt like the Holy Spirit was whispering to my heart, hey, this is not about your marriage anymore. This is about you. Are you ever going to be a person of truth? And so I took a deep breath and I said to Trish and our counselor, I said, hey, as far as the affair goes, I've told you everything. But I have more I need to share. So I was sexually abused when I was a kid and I've never told anyone about it. And I've never gotten help for it. I've felt the shame and the guilt of that situation my entire life. And I'm not trying to ex excuse my behavior or my choices. I'm just trying to give you context that there's a part of me that's broken that I can't fix. I said I've struggled with pornography for the last 10 years and I've deflected it and I've denied it and I've preached against it and I've counseled people through it and I've lied to you about it. And if you don't want anything to do with me, I totally understand. This is not about us anymore. This is about me finally reconciling my relationship with God. And in an act of grace and mercy, unlike anything I'd ever experienced, you said, now we can start over. Now we can begin again because I finally know the real you. And I wish that was the finish line. That was really the starting line of a two-year journey of truth-telling and finding freedom over some of those wounds and finding reconciliation in my relationship with God and in my relationship with Tricia in that area of our marriage and our life. Here's what I know to be true. Jesus says the truth will set you free. What he conveniently leaves out is it will make you miserable first. Right? And we don't, we don't withhold truth from one another because we want to hurt each other. Right? We withhold truth because we think, I don't want to hurt them. But what I've learned in our marriage and what I've learned in my relationship with God is short-term misery in exchange for long-term freedom is a trade worth making. You know, oftentimes we look for the miracle moment and we miss the steps that it often takes to get to the miracle moment. And it does not matter where you are in your seasons of season of life. Students, if you feel like you are, have this struggle and you have this expectation for your friends or your parents to meet you where you're at, but you're not willing to be fully known, you're never going to experience being fully loved. For those of you who find yourself in a in difficult, maybe just a nice story where just trust has just been broken and you're just struggling to just feel like anybody is a truth teller, even that moment for you as we begin to tell the truth, it paves the way for the miracle moment. Uh, what we want to leave you with is this last thought that reconciliation begins when we forgive. Reconciliation begins when we choose to forgive. And listen, I think all of us want to be forgiving people. I've never met anyone who's like, I love being bitter. It's the best thing ever. But I also know like none of us have ever gone to the store to buy a book on how to be angry, right? There's these like normal, natural responses. And even Jesus talking to his disciple, Peter. Peter asked Jesus, well, I don't get forgiveness either. So how many times do I need to forgive somebody? He's like seven times. And then Jesus responds, not 77 times Peter, but 70 times seven. 
And it's not about a mathematical equation. It's about a process because Jesus knew that we would have to choose forgiveness over and over and over again. And it begins when we tell the truth of our wounds. Whether we are the wounder or we have been wounded, we cannot move towards reconciliation or towards the miracle moment without being a person of truth. And so who in your life do you need to share with to just get it off your chest to say, hey, this is where I'm at. And that when you expose that wound, what is going to naturally happen is you're going to feel the grief of it. You know, there's moments like with me, you know, like, oh, no, he didn't moments that, you know, like what happened with us with the Christmas gifts, like these little moments. But then there's big moments where the grief is so heavy, it takes your breath away. Where the grief is so overwhelming, it is almost shocking, like, how did this happen? And what follows when we acknowledge the wound and we feel the depth of our grief, the natural response is to be angry. And in, in Christian circles, anger kind of gets a bad rap because when anger is used in a, in a bad way, a destructive way, it is not a good thing. But God has given us righteous anger. Righteous anger is when we recognize that something has to change. Because you're trying to heal something and you're doing the same thing over and over and over again and you're expecting different results and you're not getting them. But to do something over and over again and expect different results is what? It's insanity. And so you get to this place where you start withholding truth because nothing is changing. But in the process of forgiveness, Jesus says there's another way. That you have a choice. That you can take that anger and create change. And oftentimes, if you're anything like me, what feels good is bitterness. Right? When you choose bitterness, I think bitterness gets a bad rap too, which it's not a good thing, but I think bitterness feels safe. Right? Bitterness is like this wall that we build up that we perceive if we become bitter towards that person, then they don't have access to my heart anymore. The problem is, is that bitterness always lends itself to resentment. And resentment is like a cancer. It just affects all relationships. And so if we want to experience the miracle of reconciliation, we have to begin to forgive. And forgiveness begins with a new posture, taking on that new posture of brokenness. And brokenness is simply saying whatever it takes. And when you have two people who are willing to be honest, when you have two people who are willing to come close to each other through the process of brokenness, to say whatever it takes, forgiveness begins to take root and reconciliation begins to play out. And the couple that you see here today has been 17 years of that process. But I'm going to be honest with you today. That is a 17-year-old story. And for me personally, this past year has been one of the hardest and darkest of my life, one that I did not see coming. See, sometimes the wounds that are placed on us are not caused by us. But it still causes us to make a choice of whether we are going to be truthful about how we've been wounded or if we are going to hide and miss the reconciliation moment. <clears throat> Last summer, um, many of you, have you been around, I talk about my Hispanic heritage and uh, how I, I, I love my Hispanic heritage and how I've talked about um, 
just all that entails. And so this past summer, I wanted to understand more about that. And so I did Ancestry.com. It's awesome. Turns out I'm not Hispanic at all. <laughs> I was a real easy find. But the problem is, is that my dad, who I grew up with, is Hispanic. So it took me down this road of finding out that my mom had had an affair and I'm the product of that affair. And I had to stare at a screen with test results that said that my dad, my hero, who I thought was my dad my entire life, had a 0% chance of being my biological father. And I had to make a choice. I had to make a choice to be a truth teller of what this wound was doing to my heart and my mind and my life if I wanted to reconcile, if I wanted to find reconciliation in the miracle moment. And I'm going to be honest with you, it did not happen overnight. You see, the power of forgiveness allows space for you to be honest where you're at. And over the past nine months, I have been deep into grief where Justin and my kids have come alongside me and they've given me space to be sad and to be angry. And then there was this moment where I had to decide if I was going to be bitter. And let me tell you, there were days where I chose that with gusto. But the weight of bitterness will never lead you to the miracle moment. See, Jesus is so kind in the process of forgiveness because there was this place that I got to, and maybe you find yourself there where I'm like, you know what, Jesus, you do not get it. Like, here I am again. This is insane that like almost every important person in my life has lied to me or betrayed me. Like, you have no idea. And Jesus responds, I do. Like, Jesus, you have no idea that the people that I love, like when I needed them the most, they were not there. You have no idea. And he just gently whispered, I do. You see, no matter what wounds you carry, you have a Savior that has experienced it. He knows what it's like to be betrayed. He knows what it's like to experience wounds that he did not choose. Why? Because he knew the power of the miracle moment. He knew the power of reconciliation. And when you allow your heart and mind to be a truth teller, when you allow yourself to feel the feelings, but instead of choosing bitterness, choosing a posture of brokenness, that is where the miracle moment is found. A couple weeks ago, I saw my mom for the first time, and when we saw each other, we hugged, we cried, and we shared our, our hard words, and we shared forgiveness, and then she gave me a gift that I did not know I needed. She said, I know that this is not the finish line. This is just the start. See, here's some truths I want to leave you with about forgiveness. You can forgive anyone. Forgiveness is for anyone. But you can't trust everyone. Forgiveness is free, but trust is earned. The Bible says that we are forgiven as far as the east is from the west. Forgiveness is free, but trust is earned. It is part of the reconciliation process. Second, forgiveness doesn't always reconcile relationships. 
this is so hard for me. It, it, forgiveness is not always going to restore what was lost, but I promise you, of all that I have been through, forgiveness will always restore your heart. Why? Because God is a good God. Look at what it says in Luke chapter 17, verse 3. It says, be alert. If you see your friend going wrong, correct him. If he responds, forgive him. Even if it's personal against you and repeated seven times through the day and seven times he says, I'm sorry, I won't do it again. Forgive him. See, Jesus knew that forgiveness was not the start line or the finish line. It's the start. And my prayer for you and some questions I want you to wrestle with as you leave, the first question is, do you believe it? Because for some of you in this room, you are the wounder. And you walk in week after week, and you heap on the shame, and you tell yourself that you have to be the perfect person in order to restore what was lost. And Jesus is saying, listen, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. While we were all messed up sinners, I chose you. So do you believe it? Secondly, will you receive it? Like, will you receive that the miracle moment is not just for us, it is for you. And if you are willing to be a person of truth, is it going to hurt? Absolutely. But if you are willing to go in the process of forgiveness, I am telling you, the miracle moment is worth it. And in the miracle moment, there is restoration that you almost get to experience heaven on earth. Will you choose it? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just, I just thank you for your church family and this space to be able to come and wrestle and be honest and to share hard stories, but then also to share how you just, gosh, you're such a good God. And when we want to blame you and we want to be like, where were you? And we don't feel like you've showed up. You remind us that you, you are a God that is not dependent on our circumstances. You are a good God when we're in the good and you are a good God when we are in the bad. And so I pray a blessing over the couple that is here today and they are just struggling. And they have convinced themselves that bitterness is better and the miracle moment is not for them. Would you provide a way? Jesus, I pray for the student here today or whether listening online, and they just feel like they can never be enough. Like nobody sees them. Nobody understands their hurts and their wounds, and so they just kind of keep to themselves. Jesus, would you provide a way for them to be a person of truth? to be able to live in the freedom of being fully known and fully loved. I pray a blessing over our church family collectively that we would turn the tide in such a hard season of life in our culture, what's going on in our world, to be people who walk out the miracle moment in a way that makes people go, I don't understand, because you are a good God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.